0: two geeks and a marketing podcast episode 56 the one about starting a podcast Cirque de Soleil strategy audio recording apps and the dark night let's get on with the show and welcome to another recording
1: of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back with more news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, I am John by the man on the mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the marketing and finance podcast, and the host of the Roger video series, I give you Monsieur Roger
0: Edwards. Oh, hello, everybody. And, of course, my co-host is also a man on the mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast, Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni, who is still in France. I am indeed, for one more episode, and then I'll be back
1: joining you in the north of England. Uh, But it's worked quite well. We've had to change a few things here or
0: there, but, uh, you know, the wonders of the internet will never cease to amaze. No, absolutely. And uh, I, I gaze... In jealousy, extreme jealousy, at <laughs> the beautiful weather that you've had in France, glorious sun, blue sky, whilst here in Scotland, it's been dreak it's been grey, it's been wet, it's been windy, it's been miserable, so please bring some of that weather back with you. Well,
1: unfortunately, so far, we're getting the bad weather from England joining yeah. us. Just to try. But uh, you didn't use the term to describe your climate, dark, which would have been a nice little hint to the film you've chosen for this week. Um, our second DC consideration after Wonder Woman, and probably one of the most respected film when it comes to superheroes, of course, this is Dark Knight, Chapter 2 of the Crystal and Trilogy.
0: Yeah, can't wait to talk about it. And as always, Pascal, as always tends to happen, we actually re-watched the film last night, so I'm absolutely on a high from seeing it. And yeah, what a performance by Heath Ledger. But we'll we'll leave that until the end, towards the end of the show. Absolutely. So we're going to go through,
1: as we always do, the um, creator shout I can't wait to talk to about this week in history,
0: content spotlights. But let's begin with in the news. According to the UK Warehousing Association, staff shortages in lorry drivers, supply chains and warehousing roles could cause major issues during the upcoming holiday season. Well, according to mediapost.com,
1: the Federal Trade Commission has warned advertisers that posting fake
0: testimonials and failing to disclose payments to endorsers could result in financial penalties. In the US, Facebook has launched an audio hub for podcast series and live audio rooms. Mobile phone users will find the audio content under the Watch tab. So it's not confusing at all, is it? <laughs> Good Morning Britain is launching a new series on
1: YouTube entitled Off the Table. The weekly 15 minutes debate will be produced
0: specifically for its nearly 1 million subscribers. Starbucks and Netflix have launched a monthly video series entitled, But Have You Read the Book? The conversations with creators who have adapted books into films will be published on social media and YouTube. While Twitter is testing a new ad format on iOS and Android
1: called the In Conversation ad, some of you will soon see adverts after the first,
0: third and eighth reply to a tweet. And Star Trek actor William Shatner has become the oldest human in space after flying over our planet aboard the Blue Origin's New Shepard rocket ship. And finally, as part of the broader Everyday
1: Acts initiative, Nespresso has pledged to plant a tree each time it's on an advert is watched.
0: Consumers can keep track of the views in real time thanks to a live counter. Fantastic. Now, Pascal, I know that the William Shatner story isn't the one that you've highlighted for us to talk about this week, but I've just got one observation. Isn't it incredible how this New Shepard rocket ship, A, looks a little bit phallic, so it's a little bit dodgy, but it reminds me of the rocket ships from those Flash Gordon series way back in the 1930s. So there. We have a real actual rocket ship that seems to me to have been modelled on a dodgy model from a film that's nearly 100 years old. Absolutely. To be honest with you, <laughs> the, the the vision that came to
1: mind was one of the Austin Powers movie because it looked like Dr. Evil's spaceship. <laughs> yeah. uh, and In fact, Jeff Bezos is bald as well. Not suggesting for a moment there's an evil character, but <laughs> the thought that there could be uh, an Austin Powers alter ego on Earth at this moment in time is interesting. But like you, when I saw the, the news item, I took a look at the TV, looked at my wife thinking, uh, that can't be the only one that saw that <laughs> shape and had a moment to think, that looks a little less suspicious. Definitely right. <laughs> <laughs> so what I thought we would do, start with a rant and we'll finish with a rave. And the rant is, of course, about Twitter and the in-conversation ad. As the co and champion of marketing to engage, not to enrage, I can only assume that you're going to disapprove and frankly, do they need a test to know that this is going
0: to annoy all of us? Oh, do you know, Pascal, when I saw this, exactly, I just thought this is going to enrage, not engage. And do you know, I also um, came across an article which I wanted to pick for content spotlights this week, which was actually saying something like, "Has have we reached the limit of people's tolerance with all this interruption on digital platforms. Unfortunately, I I just can't find it again. I forgot to bookmark it and I can't find it again, but I will try to find it for a future episode. But it was saying exactly this. Everything just seems to be getting worse and worse. And Twitter adding in even more adverts now into conversations. It's just more intrusion. I think on YouTube now, we seem to have more adverts interrupting more frequently. And you know, you used to be able to skip them after five seconds. Sometimes you've got to sit there for 30 seconds and watch this just inane rubbish before you click back to your video. Or in some cases, just, all oh, sod that, I'm not, I'm moving on to something else. So the, I wish that these platforms would Just realize that yes, they need to generate revenue, but if they really annoy the consumer, the consumer's going to walk and that's going to ultimately damage their revenue levels much worse. It's a tricky one, isn't it? So, Mm -hmm. so
1: for me, the advertising, I'm going to talk about YouTube in a moment with um, the different brands doing different things, but uh, here's a thing for you. So, I've been in France now three weeks. And all my YouTube adverts are French adverts Mm. because of the algorithmics, as Anton Deck would say. But that makes no sense because with respect to Google.com, who owns YouTube, you have no real understanding of my kind of language skills. And potentially, with respect, Roger, I could be watching adverts in French and not understand a word they're saying. So sometimes this AI stroke machine learning is completely flawed. But uh, I've been thinking whether, this is this an attempt in your view to try and get people to go into YouTube Premium and pay to avoid the adverts? But that wouldn't be in the interest of the advertisers, I guess.
0: No, it, I do have, I do wonder because not only have I noticed the ads <laughs> ramped up on YouTube, but I've also, you get the click box now that says, do you want to trial the YouTube Premium? So yeah, maybe it is mm. their approach ultimately. All right, so let's talk about YouTube. And I want to combine the two announcements about
1: Good Morning Britain and Starbucks and Netflix working in partnership. And this this idea, which is something that I do recommend my customers look into, which is to expand and extend the customer experience sometime away from perhaps Facebook or even the website. So Good Morning Britain is a TV show for people who are from not from the UK. And yeah, they want to extend the um, consumption of content on YouTube interesting, one on their own website and they want to organize debates based on whatever news you know that they shared that, that take. And then Starbucks and Netflix are getting together to pull together this this conversation with the creators who have adapted books. And again, it's not on Netflix, it's not on the tar- Starbucks um, website, it's on social media and YouTube. I just thought I' ask for your reaction of YouTube becoming a destination for those big brands even though they have their own platforms.
0: It is very interesting, isn't it? And I have read recently that, you know, YouTube is, is probably the dominant channel for a lot of um, millennials and Gen Zs now. Gen Zs for the people listening from America. Um and maybe that's, maybe that's the strategy. Oh, ultimately, if YouTube it is becoming a destination, not just for, um, travel videos and cookery videos and, and whatever it might be, Roger vlogs and things like that. It's going to be a proper hub for professionally TV level and film level content. And I guess that maybe Good Morning Britain and Starbucks and Netflix are just getting in there early.
1: Mm, absolutely. I mean, in fairness to, to YouTube, they have still the ambition to compete against the others. I mean, YouTube Red does exist, and indeed, this is how I discovered Cobra Kai, the TV series, all those years ago. And now it's moved to Netflix, isn't it, now, From, from if I remember clearly. For me, the Good Morning Britain is an interesting one because it feels as though 50 minutes is short for mm. a debate, but maybe that's how they're going to start and they could maybe do some, some some specials. But I love the idea and as a little hint about what marketers should be doing a partnership between Starbucks and Netflix side of, well, you know, you have a cup of coffee and the book kind of things. We have Netflix, which is also, and not really being scared of trying things out. And I do wonder whether there's a hint about other brands out there and, Indeed, entrepreneurs and small business owners looking at partnership from mm. you know, different sectors and different disciplines.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, again, we get told, don't we, these days that people like short content—you know, shorter talks, shorter videos. I've always been of the opinion that if the content's good, people will watch it, whether it's ten minutes or a hundred minutes. Um, what they won't watch is rubbish content. Um, so, you know, I'm not wedded to the need for short form video but uh, maybe that's that's just the way that they are that they're, they're approaching this
1: mm. always a pleasure to look at the news with you and just very quickly roger and i are very pleased that people in the u.s who are lying about you know endorsements and the last we're going to get a fine i'm sure in the rest of the world we're going to follow suit but let's move on and slow things down if we could with content spotlights Right, Roger, I've had a quick look at the show notes and the words marketing strategy are appearing on your selection and mine. So what have
0: you got for us? Okay, so this week it's a short article. It was on a website called ReadWrite, which I think is a fabulous title for a, re- a website, just just let me say that again, read, write, as in write, W-R-I-T. So read, write, let us love that, genius, absolute genius. The article is called, Is It Too Late to Start Podcasting as a Marketing Strategy? Written by a gentleman called Tony Carter. Now, actually, I'm not going to home in too much on the strategy part of this, other than to say, well, um, maybe my view would be that podcasting is more of a marketing tactic rather than as a marketing strategy overall. But I guess no you could have a high level marketing strategy for the whole of your business and you would have a strategy for your podcasting but to me podcasting is a tactic within an overall marketing strategy but that's not why you called today i'm wanting to talk about this whole idea as is it too late to start podcasting now again very short article bite sized article and you're going to be able to read this in five minutes. And it's a very nice summary of some of the advantages of podcasting, some of the things to think about if you want to start your own podcast, but it really does address this question as to, is it actually too late now? And should you even bother? And it is interesting, Pascal, because I do have this conversation with with customers customers of my own. And I'll have people say to me, especially in the financial services industry, for example, where quite a few of my customers come from, oh, we don't want to start a podcast because you, Roger, you've already got one. And Pete Matthew, he's already got the Meaningful Money podcast there's no need for another financial services podcast. And my view is, actually, I don't believe that. If you can come up with a concept and a theme which engages with your customers, then absolutely you should consider launching a podcast as long as it fits into your overall marketing strategy. And that's why I really like this article, because it just makes you think of all the things that you need to consider. So it starts off very quickly by saying, why should you think about podcasting and the advantages of podcasting and you know it's the things you would expect it's the ease of entry the potential audience size flexibility and topic possibilities the potential to scale it content content diversification strategies podcast networking interviews all the things that we know and love about why podcasting is important summarized and bullet pointed for you in this article then it considers is 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 it really a concern that it's too late? Um, you know. Podcasters a fad? Don't really see that. It might be that again. Thinking about the Pete Matthew arg- argument, I've just gone there. Some people may think that they're too late because there are already established people out there talking about their same subject. And if there are established people out there talking about their subject, why would I, why would they listen to me? Ex- established competition, and maybe people are starting to become fatigued with so many podcasts being out there. But then he really just basically turns it around and says, you know, maybe you should still consider it and just come up with something which uniquely defines you. So, you know, how can you make yourself stand out? How can you make yourself be different? Even if the topic's the same as quite a lot of established podcasts, how can you make yours stand out? And it comes to the conclusion that it probably isn't too late to start a podcast. And I agree with that, but I don't think Tony goes into this in enough detail because I don't believe that any of these content vehicles are saturated to the point of putting people off. You know, you you can't say, I'm never going to make another film because there are too many films being released each year. You're not going to say, don't write a book because there are too many books being written each year, that you're not going to say stop doing blogs because there are too many blogs. And the same thing applies to podcasts. You can't be put off from starting a podcast because somebody says there are too many. It all comes back to a marketing strategy, and that is defining who your customers are, coming up with something that a attracts that customer, engages that customer, and is better and preferably different to everybody else. And if you do that, then you have the possibility of success. So actually, whilst I said that I wasn't going to focus in on the strategy part of the <laughs> title of this, that's exactly what he's saying. It's not just about thinking there are too many out there. It's the usual thing. How do you differentiate yourself from everybody else. So a very nice snappy little article, but my advice would be if you wanna do podcasting, treat it like any other marketing um, tactic strategy uh, as part of a strategy and make sure that you stand out.
1: I think that was lovely is that it has literally mirrored the question or the statement that you have heard to our careers. Yeah. Is it too late, is it too late? And I would say it is too late to do an average bit of content, whether it's written form, audio, video. It is too late to not have taken the trouble to discover your voice under someone you stand for. I would agree. What I mean by that is, um, unfortunately, if you've not done it yet, the, the learning years that people have just gone through in the past three to four years have passed you by, mm. and you need to hit the ground, hit the ground running pretty sharpish and, and create something that is truly engaging. I don't mean by the production value to be you know, through the roof, but I've seen that the level of thinking and the level of execution is not something that looks like you're a beginner, but you've given the quality of thought that people have done so. But I remember having a conversation with, I think it was Mark Askwith some weeks and months ago, where he said, you know, people ask this question all the time about podcasting or even video. N- people ask the question so much about blogging. Nobody questions whether or not just how to blog even now for the very first time and crack on because in, in a way the written form has had the last 20 to 30 years to prove itself. And I think with audio and video is still young by comparison and people are still wondering, well, the impression that I have is that there is a mass of content producers out there that have literally um, taken over the attention of the audience, so it's late for me. And you and I, when we do the research, we discover that that's not true at all there are still so many eyes and ears out there that have not set eyes on video and audio content that it's up for the picking. So yeah, great, great choice. So mine, as I mentioned a moment ago, is about Marketing Strategy 2. <laughs> That's a coincidence. Now the title is Inside Cirque du Soleil Marketing Strategy by Paul Talbot. He wrote that article for Forbes.com and Paul Talbot has this great little uh, kind of uh, pen biography on this profile, which says, I write a bad marketing strategy, which I think is a wonderful way to establish, you know, your, your credentials. Now, just a quick anecdote. I didn't choose the article because it has French words in it's Cirque du Soleil, but I will say that there is a connection. So where I am currently in France is not far from a shipyard, a city called Saint-Nazaire, twin with Sunderland, and they are currently building one of the biggest cruise liners in the world. Mm-hmm. And Cirque du Soleil, uh, Soleil as a brand, as you know, that they, they are, it's about shows, but they didn't know that, but they also do shows on cruise liners. And some of the cruise liners stop here from time to time for maintenance work, and the staff, the acrobats, and, and the artists will stay in a hotel. That's what happened to be managed by my cousin. So there's always a link in in some ways. But this article is an interview that's been transcribed with the Stig de Soleil a new chief brand officer, Kevin Pamine. And the article is very short very much like yours but it really really makes you think a lot and it's the kind of thing that you would almost want to share with your colleagues and teammates even clients to say uh, have, a, have a look at this and the idea is and the conversation is all about treating marketing as a service to the fans of the Cirque du Soleil. Mm-hmm. And when you read the article, it's almost wrong though so you can read it more than once because you've got to pick some of the nuggets of information shared by Kevin and this idea of... Do you know, sometime with marketing, it's all about chasing the new customers. Mm-hmm. It's all about reach, and it's all about the, the kind of dashboard and what we often call you know, the um, the kind of ego dashboard. But what um, Kevan Pemani is c- suggesting is that, A, the performing art and art and all form of cultural uh, endeavors have been hit very badly by the pandemic. I mean, it's just been quite quite incredible. And so the Soleil had to stop for a while, and then they just found a way to engage with their existing fans. So the whole article is about are we doing enough, all of us as businesses, and can we learn from Ciel de Soleil about actually engaging in a more meaningful way with our existing customer base, as opposed to putting all the effort into chasing you, and almost to, to the extent where we neglect you know, the people that we have on board. And one of the examples they mentioned in the article, Roger, is that they launched a new digital platform called Cirque Connect, and for the existing customers, they were able to go on a platform, almost like a VIP treatment, and see the shows, but have literally live Q&A for the artist. They could see behind the scenes, they could see almost uh, revealing some of the um, the science and the art of, of the project, to the point where they could sustain the relationship until such time people can go and see them in person as well. And there's more little nuggets like this, which I won't spoil because you, I would say, it, during the article, the interview is such a, a, a pleasure. But back to your point earlier, a short article, yet so powerful in making you think about your own practices, your own kind of judgments and and kind of established thoughts, and this idea of, I would argue, the vast majority of my customers ask me to find ways to use the internet to find new customers, they rarely talk to me about. And how do we engage in a more meaningful way
0: those who love us already are ex- existing fans. No, absolutely right, Pascal. And uh, you see it every day. You know, even with the brands that I um, interact with. You know, it could be you know your your broadband provider or your bank or, or your your insurance. My my house contents insurance is up for renewal recently, and the co- the company that I'm with is not going to keep my business just because as an existing customer, they just don't treat me very well compared to all the effort they go into to getting new people to to sign up. So this is a timely reminder for brands. Um, and, and again, as you say, because it's so short and so absolutely on point, you know you really hope that a lot of fairly quite senior people would actually read this.
1: And to, to your point, those two articles should be shared. I mean, back in the days, you and I would have seen this in a magazine, probably did a few photocopies and leave them on desks of our colleagues, and, and I think there should be more of that going on. So, excellent. Well, listen, shall we move on to one of my favorite segments of the show, the marketing tech and apps. All <music> right, Roger, so what have you found to make
0: life easier as a content marketer? Okay, Pascal first of all an admission I stumbled across these things this week totally and utterly by accident um it's funny you should be saying before about the increased number of adverts coming in on all sorts of social media well this week an advert popped up on Facebook for a new sort of remote microphone that you can attach to an iPhone and Similar to the remote microphone that came with my Pocket 2 um, DJI gizmo, which I've talked about recently on the show, I just thought, wow, that looks really fantastic. It was, it was short, a small, um, and very um, discreet little piece of kit. And, but it's a bit like the, Content spotlight that I failed to bookmark. I thought, oh, I'll, I'll see this again because literally the ad comes up like every time I open Facebook. Well, I went back in there into Facebook this afternoon to find that um, gizmo and it just didn't turn up again, so I was stro- I must have been stro- uh, scrolling all the way down my Facebook feed for about five to ten minutes, hoping that this advert would pop up, and it didn't. But what it did keep popping up were a couple of other things. So I thought, okay, I'm going to focus in on these things because they obviously think that I should be more interested in these things than I should be in the um, remote microphone for the for the iPhone. So hopefully that remote microphone of the iPhone will be something that I'll be able to talk about in a later show. So the, the things that I've come across this week are two apps which use artificial intelligence to create content. Now, the first one is called Copyshark.ai. Copyshark.ai. And I don't know how I feel about this. I have signed up for the free, um, the free week, uh, and I'm going to give it a try. But basically, what you do is you put in subject matter, keywords, product names, that sort of thing. And it creates written copy for your website, for your adverts, for your presentations. Now, I just don't know whether AI is that good yet to be able to create copy, which is genuinely engaging. I mean, you know, sometimes you'll hear these artificial voices, which try to do speeches and things like that. And you can tell that they're not quite right. You know, it's almost like the robot's a little bit out of sync or something like that. But it's a very impressive website. And I've read some of the copy that's on that website, which allegedly has been created by this AI. And it isn't bad, Pascal. It's not bad at all. You know, I'm not an experienced copywriter. I like writing, but I'm not an experienced copywriter. And, And to my eyes, it actually looks pretty good. The second one, to me, was a little bit more, I could see myself using it immediately, and this is called claps.com, spelled K-L-A-P-P-Z, claps. And what this does is it creates videos out of text, and you literally... You can type in a few sentences, you can type in an entire article, and it uses artificial intelligence to source images, and it creates a video. So it will actually type out your text on the screen, but it will then source video and put the video in the background. So, for example, there is an example on the site where they're talking about swimming pools and um, travel, and the text comes up saying... This is the name of the resort. Can't remember exactly what the name of the resort was. But in the background, there's a picture of somebody diving off a diving board into a swimming pool. And then later it talks about food options in the hotel. And behind the text, you've got images of food. And I thought that actually was pretty clever. Um Maybe the videos it it ultimately comes up with might appear to be a little bit cheesy. But I think if you were wanting to do something quickly and you did have the appropriate level of quality control over it, then I think maybe you'd be able to get something which was actually quite usable. So totally and utterly <laughs> By accident I've come across these things this week and if effectively there were the things that popped up in the feed more than once. But again, these are the ways that we sometimes find things that might actually revolutionise the way we do things. Now I'm not convinced that I will though I will use a copywriting AI site, but I'm definitely going to give it a go and see what it comes up with.
1: Yeah, and to our viewers and listeners, do let us know how you feel about it. Both test them, but also tell us how you feel. For me, this idea of going on the website to read content that might engage me, that was written by a machine, it's almost like deceit. But then again, if that had been written by a ghostwriter, someone that had been essentially asked to write on behalf of a company and paid for that. And I, I would never have been on the wiser. Maybe it's, it's um, a time thing where maybe in two, three years time, this will be just normal. I love the claps one, particularly, imagine when we do this week in history mm. and you could actually match the, um, the text, maybe the audio mm. to some real footage from back in, uh, in the days or, or some images from Wikimedia and other open sources. That would be fantastic. Yeah, Right, sure. Well, for my selection, Mine was born out of you and I at highs and lows of going live on Twitter Spaces mm. and trying to get the audio recorded because we joined Twitter Spaces and did a test before they offered the options of capturing the audio. And I'm thinking, and I'm educating my customers about the future of Facebook audio rooms, LinkedIn audio rooms, the Spotify green rooms. Indeed, yourself, you were a guest speaker at the Festival of Social Media, and you spoke about live audio uh, as a um, marketing strategy, to use that term again. And I've been thinking about ways to have at least a backup just in case the native audio recording doesn't go well. You know, one, one never knows. And I've been looking at d- different things. And so the first thing would be, how would you potentially get the audio from your phone on t- and, and being captured, as it is being captured by Twitter and the others? And I think the solution has to be one that is a physical item, a hardware, I've been doing some research. I tried very hard, Roger, not to, uh, to go for Zoom as in the company, <laughs> and I fell miserably. So my recommendation uh, this week to kind of link your mobile phone onto an audio recorder will be the Zoom H5. Mm-hmm. They've done also well. They've done from H1 to H8, um, 8678 and then uh, they have also the, the big deck, a bit like the Broadcaster um, Pro. But I think the Zoom H5 would be a good investment that would last you many, many years for all manner of of needs, podcasting and so on and so forth, but for the purpose of recording your audio live session on your phone, that would be the right thing to do. The second thing would be more of a digital solution and for some of the sessions, Twitter Spaces being one, you can also um, have it going live on your desktop. So this now it would be Roger, you and I go on Twitter Spaces again or indeed Facebook or your rooms. We are using our phones to communicate but it's also playing maybe with a few seconds delay on my laptop be very careful, of course, to mute the speakers on my laptop so we don't get a bad echo. And then what you can do there is use a audio recording that would be a software. Now, you know, my go-to solution would be the Audio Hijack platform, but as a test, people shouldn't go ahead and necessarily spend money. So I came across something which is simply called freesoundrecorder.net. And this will allow you to literally let this software to say, when I am on Facebook, I want you to record the sound coming out of Facebook. If I am on a different platform like Zoom indeed and, and many others, I want you to record the audio. And I thought it would be a lovely way to trial this idea of using software to record the audio on your desktop. And if you like it, and if you want to upgrade, then you could go into audio hijack or maybe some of the things that you use. But I think for me, unless you can capture the audio for repurposing one of our good friend Amy Wood's favorite kind of strategy, then the live st- audio streaming will still be just a one-off, and then it will disappear, and that is such a shame. So that's why I thought, let's find ways to record the audio, Zoom H5 or freesandrecorder.net.
0: Both of which are great uh, pieces of kit, Pascal. I mean, the the Zoom H5 is a pretty high-end portable recorder isn't it I, mm. I i can't remember exactly how much it is but it's it's not exactly cheap i've actually got um one of the 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 smaller versions i think it's the h3 that i've got and that's remarkable in terms of the quality that you can get to it so the the zoom as you say not to be uh confused with zoom uh, that we're using to record this now the software definitely worth having a look at and and it's it is difficult when you're recording audio on a pc because as as a podcaster as you know i do a lot of interviews and you've got to, it it can be quite complicated to get the audio that's coming from something like zoom or skype which i used to use and getting it to actually record on adobe audition or or, or audacity because sometimes the computer doesn't recognize that as audio that's come that, that that's playing on the computer because it's coming from an external source and you've got to do all sorts of rerouting using and virtual cables and everything to actually get it to record so something like this it just makes it so much easier
1: absolutely and again for any of you listening to this think oh i might look into this zoom h business actually ask around people like roger and i we have kits sometimes we don't use anymore i'm sure you'll agree she may have a pal that has a zoom h two, three, four, five, six, seven that will have you let you use it for a month then you can test be sure that it's for you and then you can go ahead and invest But as we say, after this segment, typically, Roger, none of this would be possible without the vision and the hard work of pioneers of the recent and distant past. It's time to move on to This Week in History.
0: Pascal, in 1955, the third book of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Return of the King, was published. And I included this simply because what a monumental piece of work it is. And we've reviewed the film series as well. But it's incredible to think that such an imaginative series was written actually quite such a long time ago.
1: And I'm going to leap ahead to 1997. This was the year of the first instalment of the Grand Theft Auto video game series by Rockstar. After that you had
0: Red Dead Redemption and Max Payne my goodness max Payne! that's a blast from the past back in 1963 the first residential trimline telephone in the us was placed in service by the michigan bell telephone company it was made available to all its customers throughout the company's area in 1965 for an optional one pound one dollar monthly extra now the key thing about this is that the dial and hang up button were no longer on the remote base but actually integrated into the handpiece Wow. Well, I'm going to now take you to
1: 2016, sorry. Budweiser completes the world's first shipment by a self-driving truck. The 18-wheeler trailer travelled 100
0: miles to Colorado Springs without any human intervention. Interestingly, this... The whole thing about this trimline phone in the states, Pascal. I included this one because I think my memory is cheating here. Now I'm thinking back to my childhood in the the late 70s, early 80s, and as far as I can remember, the majority of phones in the UK were all exactly the same. You know, the great big bulky unit with the receiver sitting on top and the receiver was like the the handpiece with the two great big round bits that fitted you against your ear and your mouth and the only other phone which was available in the late 70s early 80s was was called a trim phone and that was effectively the, the receiver bit Went, di- went went um, vertically across as opposed to horizontally across, and it made a slightly different sound. It made more of an electric beep. Whereas this phone from America actually incorporated the dial and the, the earpiece and the receiver into, effectively, the handle, and then it went down onto the, um, the base unit. Now, I didn't think that phones like that came about until well into the 1980s, so I'm, I, I just thought, wow, my memory definitely cheated me there. I would have said mid seventies myself, so
1: mm-hmm. that's incredibly early. I mean, that's just a handful of years after the Second World War and everything. But yep. then, from that point on, you are now in a you know in, the, in your hand you have the smartphone which is using pretty much assembly out. You could argue,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely
1: right. So, what- so I wanted to talk to you about the idea of the self driving truck
0: mm-hmm.
1: and ask you what. T- I know that this is not a million years ago, that's only five years ago, give or take, but it is part of history. It is part of something that society has pushed back on, saying I am not having the self-driving vehicles on our roads. So um, Google and many others are still doing some research and they're still looking into it, including Uber. But I'm wondering whether the current crisis we're going through, and in fact, the very first news item you read today about shortage of lorry drivers, so on and so forth, is going to allow people to revisit it and bear in mind that there are some who are suggesting they could be tough to get your parcel delivered on time at Christmas this year. Are we going
0: to see maybe a revisiting of the self-driving trucks for deliveries? Well, do you know, I, I do sometimes wonder whether the pushback against self-driving things is more of a mainstream media calling things out rather than the actual reality. You know, self-driving cars... We seem to be at the point where people don't feel as if they would be safe enough. But let's face it, there are some very unsafe actual drivers <laughs> out there on the on the road at the moment. You know, sometimes, um, you know, you have so many near misses because idiots are cutting in or... A, um, ignoring traffic lights or ignoring roundabouts, I do sometimes wonder whether self, you know, automatic cars would be better for everybody, as long as the, uh, the, the you know, the algorithms or whatever drove them were, were absolutely perfect. Uh, but I, I don't mind Pascal. I mean, funnily enough, I, I was down in London on my first trip to London in nineteen months, and I travelled in from London City Airport on the Docklands Light Railway, which has been around for decades now, maybe at least twenty years. And that's all automatic. The Docklands Light Railway is all automatic. And I don't recall ever hearing of any accidents on the Docklands Light Railway which were caused by the automation. So, you know, maybe it's just one of those things that we've just got to overcome our inbred, either our inbred fear or the fear that the mainstream media are putting there.
1: Yeah. What well, I will say you cannot deny that this is extraordinary technology mm. and the research they've gone into it and, the, and what they can use it for uh, other means as well. Uh, I'm just so excited about where that this is going to go next because I do think, if you look at the history of everything that we've discussed for over a year now, it's usually a hint of something bigger and better. So the self-driving truck is just a test for something that's going to be even more exciting in the future. Fantastic. So, let's go back into the present and talk about our creators.
0: So, Roger, who is under the spotlight this week? This week, I'm giving a shout out for a new podcaster I've come across. Well, I say new podcaster. He's done loads of episodes, so he's not exactly new at it, but it's new to me. Now, I came across this because I've been doing a bit of work recently. I've Fortunately, starting to get more gigs coming up, speaking gigs, and I've just been revisiting some of my storytelling techniques, and, and it's often really good to listen to how other presenters and other uh, webinar trainers, whatever it is, use stories in their presentations. And I came across this podcast, it's called FearlessPresentations.com, and it's run by a guy called Doug Stanart. Now, there was a particular episode that caught my attention, which led me to listen to a few more of his um, speeches. And the title of this particular episode was called Short Anecdotes for Speeches and Parables to Amaze Your Audience. Now, it's only about 16 minutes long, if I remember rightly, and he actually uses It gives at least four or five different examples of actual stories that he's told in presentations. And what actually stood out for me for this, Pascal, is some of those stories were actually from the Bible. Uh, And and I'm I'm holding my hands up here and saying I'm not having a religious moment here. I'm not converting. Uh, But... Let's face it: the Bible is a rich source of incredible stories and parables, and I just loved the way that he incorporated some of these stories and he told them really well as well into the examples, and that drew me in. And I've now started to listen to a few more of his um, of his episodes. So I think the two things is: a, I found myself a new podcast to listen to, but also. I don't think we should be afraid to use other, other people's stories, especially things like from the Bible or other bodies of work, as long as it illustrates the point that we're trying to make in a very engaging way
1: what is interesting is you and i really don't share our show notes until the very day of the recording yeah the mental surprise and so on but i've chosen someone that was all about storytelling now Mm -hmm. the context is someone that i rediscovered dave beers the author speaker and consultant which helps organization boost their creativity and innovation, but also connect with storytelling. And my work is a lot more at the moment, Roger, about confidence, about imagination, but also about how do you get started? How do you, for example, Roger, move from having maybe a tough morning full of meetings and doing admin and Excel spreadsheets, and suddenly after your lunch break, you've got to be creative and write a blog post or do a podcast and so on. And what I was looking for is some suggestions, some help for me to support my customers about just warming up, almost like an athlete warming up for the moment you need to be creative. And very, very kindly, immensely generous on his spawn, Dave Pierce has released a free online version of Story Dice. Have you come across Story Dice before? I have indeed, definitely. Mm-hmm. So um, I used to have a version from a different creator, which were more cards. Of course, I can't use them, I'm uh, not face to face as much. And I certainly have had a similar experience when I was learning filmmaking. So Story Dice is a wonderful way for any of you listening uh, on your own or as part of a team to just get warmed up before you need to move on to the execution of your content marketing. So what you do is you go online, the hi, the link is on in the show notes, and you roll the dice virtually and a series of dice will appear and you need to, on the spot, come up with a story that has the beginning, the middle, and the end with maybe a sense of jeopardy, a sense of, uh, of reward and so on. And it's just down to your imagination you do that two or three times and i would recommend people to have fun and maybe make silly stories as well as serious stories and that would be just a perfect way to get started so frankly uh, roger i chose dave beer's contribution as a huge thank you to for him and i'm glad i rediscovered him through my research but also to say that's exactly what needs to happen you know be kind to yourself find a way to warm up towards, you know, the, the, the side of doing
0: content marketing. Well, do you know, Pascal, that this is actually the second time Dave has had a shout out on this podcast? Ah, oh, brilliant. <laughs> because I gave him a shout out way back in episode 24. And I shared a stage with Dave Beers in North Macedonia two years ago at a marketing conference and yeah he's such a nice guy and he's got such a load of ideas like this which are all about creativity in fact i think that's what his business focuses on is creativity so it was a it was a joy to see him come up again in the (laughs) list this week (laughs) super well listen we've been talking
1: about storytelling we're going to move on to visual storytelling with film marketing So Roger, 2008, was a very, very good year for film fans. We just recovered from watching Iron Man with the exceptional Robert Downey Jr. A month later, we were treated to part two of the Chris Nolan trilogy, The Dark Knight with the exceptional Heath Ledger. Let's watch the trailer again.
0: You've changed things. There's no going back. See, to them, you're just a freak. Like me. <laughs> what do we got? Nothing. No name. No other alias. Clothing is custom. Nothing in his pockets but knives and lint. Evening, Commissioner. Why so
1: serious? Where is he? People are dying.
0: What would you have me do? Endure. You can be the outcast. You can make the choice that no one else will face. The right choice. Gotham needs you. A little fighting, here. I like that. Then you're gonna love me. Now that's more like it, Mr. Wayne. So, Roger, did you go out to the cinema in 2008? Um, I We did, definitely. And we have not watched this film again until last night since 2008, even though thoroughly wow. enjoyed it, thinking, as you say, one of the best films of all time, uh, one of the best superhero films of all time. And actually, what I do like about the Dark Knight series is that it's not overly sort of um c- embroiled within the DC universe. I think sometimes th- some of the f- some of the Marvel films are so interlinked now that you really cannot watch one on its own whereas I think that certainly at this stage the Dark Knight films definitely stood alone. But I when I rewatched it last night the things that really struck me Heath Ledger's just unbelievable performance, unbelievable performance. He was so convincing, so scary, but so engaging at the same time. But I, I had probably had forgotten just how quite dark the whole things were. I mean, I, I, The Dark night, obviously. But, you know, you compare it to the 1960s, almost camp tv series with um adam west and uh, etc at the time and even if you compare it to the films of the 80s the, the the michael keaton ones they were i thought at the time quite a lot darker than the tv series but this took it really to another level and a stunning combination of cinematography great acting the pace the pace is just relentless isn't it you know i often complain about two and a half hour movies and just not having the material to to keep um keep it going but this just never stops and the editing and some of the scenes you know are very short and it just keeps it going so just about everything about this is just the complete package and what's interesting is i had many friends
1: who would not choose to go and see a superhero movie at all Mm. that's not that wouldn't be their thing who went to see that movie mm. and they celebrated you know the work that as you mentioned a moment ago I think it was interesting how the film well because it was Chris Nolan because it was Kristen Bell Heath Ledger and all the others um that it was almost like it would legitimize them going to see a movie that they would not only choose and I can assure you that they'd they the kind of people that would not go and see a Marvel movie but they went to see that one which I think is to its credit
0: yeah and you know you just introduced dave beers and his storytelling uh creativity and i talked about the podcast where he was using parables from the bible and that sort of thing again what really struck me watching this again was the heath ledger scenes he, he actually tells a few stories doesn't he within the film there's one scene which is really quite powerful where he's talking about his father and you know he tells this story totally in character but his storytelling technique in character is just astonishing. And I'm thinking, I actually want this guy to tell me more stories as the Joker. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and in a way, I would go as far as saying that it did
1: inspire some of the animated series where, where they to the character, mm. which was obviously voiced by Mark Hamill uh, in this idea of the kind of storytelling and trying to be the centre of attention uh, through that, that particular talent – and but this movie, uh, I mean, I couldn't wait to buy it on DVD and Blu-ray and be part of, of the collection. But once again, through your own research, memory almost wish, as I've said many times on film marketing, oh, if only we lived in the US because the marketing campaign was just second to none.
0: Absolutely. Now, obviously, they did the usual poster and they did the usual trailer. And you know, a few weeks ago, we marvelled. You know, no pun intended there. We marveled at the simplicity <laughs> of the, the poster for Misery. And and I actually quite like the poster for this. It, again, it's simple. It's just got Batman stood there. In the background, there's a building, and the building's on fire, but the fire is is actually the shape of the Batman motif. So lots to be said there about the simplicity of the poster. But, yeah, you're absolutely right, Pascal. I hadn't actually quite realized the depth of the online viral campaign that they created for this film and all the myriad of websites that they set up to encourage the fans the comic fans the superhero fans to actually go online and effectively decipher all these clues find different locations find you know character profiles find out about the joker and all of that sort of thing it was an incredible it's, it's probably one of the most famous viral marketing campaigns that's ever been created but the depth of it is incredible and 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 i suppose that the genius thing was here that they genuinely targeted the comic fans, didn't they? I mean, they went after Comic Con, which was you know it's a huge um, convention that took place in, in in San Diego. But they targeted those fans and built upon the obsession of those fans, and just genuinely created something which just went massive. You're absolutely right. They really did their segmentation really well. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yes, if you're not a fan and you'll go because of the poster and trailer, you are group number one, let's say. But group two, three, four, five were clearly identified. For me, the other thing that is impressive, this was a year long campaign. Mm-hmm. Now, most campaigns, when I've spoken about, sometimes they are a few weeks, or a few months, and that's a challenge in itself, others are, uh, but this is a year-long campaign of sustaining the, the, the goodwill and the, the excitement of the fans. And they went where the fans were. So Comic-Con is mentioned, but back to this idea of, you know, oh, I'm very jealous, I wish I'd lived in the US. So it began a year to 15 months before the movie was released, where one of the PR agencies were by accident, and doing the inverted commas there, uh, for those listening to the podcast, were dropping um, play cards with, with the, the Joker's um, kind of uh, drawings and the ha-ha-ha-ha, you know, kind of <laughs> laughter written by hand. And little, and they would literally put them inside Batman um, comic books and so on. They did all sort of things like this to the point where eventually, back to the website I mentioned, people were asked to choose. They're going to be Team Batman. They're going to be Team The Joker. And that went on for quite some time when people were able to follow clues. And they had some elements of tanklover field Lane, but this took it to the next level in terms of the, the gaming element into the real world. They even organized a real election campaign I know, for I know. Harvey Kent, and people were asked to vote for a fictional character. That's why that they ended up being,
0: obviously, in the movie in the end. Well, I mean, the fact that they created <laughs> an actual website for the Gotham Times, you know, with proper articles, photographs, making it look like a proper newspaper website. But you're right, the fact that they allowed you almost to vote for this district attorney it, it was it was it be, it became a way of pulling people into the movie and making them feel part of the experience and and, and again I, I hadn't realized any of this had happened until we did the research for this episode and and it's I, I don't think it's been surpassed since obviously you've, you mentioned Cloverfield Lane we've talked about that before but the amount of work that went into this and as you say over a sustained amount of time is is really quite astonishing and you know it absolutely succeeded and it's become one of the biggest films of all time but just the creativity that went in into this is is actually astounding for, for me the
1: the the uh, difference uh, with Finland which is in itself a fantastic if you have not listened to this um episode please do seek it out in our channels because you will hear some amazing stuff they've done but this is different because people were almost contributing to the storytelling. So they were voting for this character, Harvey Dent, I think it was yeah. called, and yeah. um, played by Aaron Eckhart. They could discover... Hints left by the Joker himself. Mm. And they could go online, they could um, race down to shops and bowling alley and so on and find gifts. Some of them were lucky enough to even find a birthday cake where there was a number they could ring. And when they rang the number, the cake was ringing because a, a phone had been hidden by the Joker allegedly inside the birthday cake. And you had all this stuff. And of course, you can imagine when people were taking pictures and put it on social
0: media, how viral that went. And apparently, overall, there was something like 10 million players worldwide involved in all of these online games and campaigns. I mean, that is incredible, isn't it, Pascal? Now, one thing I did want to say, and, and, and this is almost a tribute to the actor himself, Heath Ledger sadly passed away very soon after they wrapped the filming of the film and in fact he, he he passed away before the film was released and of course they had obviously had to slightly change their approach to the marketing but I guess that sad that sad death of Heath Ledger actually also added to the virility of the marketing campaign didn't it it was a sad thing to happen, but I think it also boosted the campaign as well. People got the sense that
1: we were losing an exceptional actor because he'd done other films before. I mean, I know that the financiers were worried about, oh, this is a guy that was in Brokeback Mountain now becoming the Joker, will the audience? And I think, frankly, to the financiers and others, give us more credit. Yeah. As an audience, we can tell when someone has talent, and we can navigate um, amongst different uh, worlds. You know they will be inhabiting. Um, so I think you're right. It felt a very special movie in so many different ways. I think it really worked in the direction of creating a a masterpiece. I would argue that they were still surprised by the immense success. Back to the marketing campaign, it won awards at the um, Cannes Lion, which is the kind of advertising and marketing uh, film festival of sort. And back to this idea of choosing your team between Batman or the Joker the Batman uh, supporters were rewarded by being uh, be able to assist live to the projection of the Bat symbol yep. onto buildings in New York and other other places as well. So that playfulness and that kind of complicity with the audience carried over. Some people were suggesting uh, online again that they could recognize elements in a movie that they had a feeling they had contributed to through, through <laughs> the gaming including some of the uh, bad guys and hunchmen and women that were supporting the Joker I'm sure I've seen that guy on the website that he's now fighting alongside Heath Ledger
0: yeah I mean um, such a good way to engage let's face it they engaged the geeks didn't they that you know no beating about the bush they engaged the geeks and and To a certain extent, you know, the general public who just want to go along and see a decent film probably wouldn't have been interested in this campaign as well. But the fact that 10 million people were engaged was enough to make it as big as it was. One of the things I did want to point out, and it's not so much a marketing thing, it's just an observation, is obviously this film was uh, a, Chris, um, a Christopher Nolan film, uh, more recently uh, Tenet, mm-hmm. uh, before that, Memento. And I said earlier that this, the storytelling in this film was incredible, and the storytelling within the story um, by the Joker were incredible. But if you think about all the films that Kristen, uh, Christopher Nolan has made, this is one of the most linear storytelling Films that he's ever done. It starts off, it goes through the beginning, middle, and end. Whereas most of his films do something weird with time, don't they? I mean, Memento had the film starting at the um, end mm. and going back to the beginning and jumping around. And and even the first of the trilogy, Batman Begins, I think, if I remember rightly, had loads of different flashbacks to different times. And, of course, Tenet. Well, crikey, I need still need to watch <laughs> Tenet a, a couple more times before I can understand what on earth is going on there. So this is actually a genuine you know linear story from this great director and what
1: is interesting is in a context of the trilogy this is Act two yeah and usually they tend to respect you know a particular rule so act one and act three you could almost do something a bit different as a storyteller but act two you have to keep the audience going um back to your point about different campaigns for different audiences um they all then came together with this phrase that people have been using forever, why so serious? Mm -hmm. And the fans discovered this phrase quite early on in cards, in landing pages, but they couldn't understand what it was, of course, Mm -hmm. until maybe the trailer and and the film. But fans of the genre or just, you know, uh, kind of um, casual movie goer they all used it in memes and, and, and more, um, and you have now countless images of Heath Ledger in the Joker kind of makeup and apparel with a phrase, why so serious? And what, what, what a way also to kind of uh, remind people that this is what storytelling is all about. You know, a moment of escapism takes you in a different time and space so that
0: you can you know, take away something very enjoyable. It's fantastic, and I will probably be watching the f- next film <laughs> in the trilogy uh, pretty soon, <laughs> I have to say. Excellent. Well, listen, Roger, thank you so much for being such an amazing
1: co-host and for your many selections and support today. All of you, please leave suggestions, comments, and more in the usual places. Until the next one, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. That was Pascal Pintoni, and he was Roger Edwards.